Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. When I was looking for a publisher for a book I wanted to write, I was fortunate to have ended up with two offers, one from a large international media conglomerate and the other from Handspring, which at the time was a small publisher in Scotland run by just four people with a love for great books and our field. To this day, I'm glad I chose to go with Handspring as not only did they help me make the books I wanted to share, the Advanced Myofascial Technique series, but their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. And Handspring was recently joined with Jessica Kingsley Publishers, Integrative Health Singing Dragon Imprint, where their amazing impact continues. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check out their list of titles, including Yoga Biomechanics, authored by our guest today. And be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. So thanks again very much, Handspring. Till, how are you today? Doing well, Whitney. It is sure summer here. And uh, you would know it outside. Inside here is cool, but outside is pretty hot. Yeah, we had a big heat wave came over here, and I think we blew it in your direction. So it's cooled Thank off you here. Very so much. Good news is it's cooling down for you, I think, coming up. Who's our guest today? And is she are, in a hot place or not? Yes, it's hot, I think. It's hot. So we're very honored to have Jules Mitchell with us today, the author of Yoga Biomechanics, as we mentioned in the uh, intro piece there. So Jules, welcome very much. Uh, great to have you here joining us on The Thinking Practitioner. And for those not familiar with your work, um, Jules is a yoga practitioner. Do we call you a yoga educator or a practitioner? What's your sort of title there? Um, educator. I teach teachers. That's yeah. Okay. Thing. What I do. Yes. And uh, if I'm understanding correctly, you also have a background in body work prior to your yoga practice too. Is that right? You had done some. I'm not other- prior. I yeah. ended up getting, um, I'm licensed to do massage therapy in two States, California and Nevada. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of, you know, yoga has been decades. So that's yeah. last 10 years or something. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, our topic and focus today is going to be on some issues around stretching, which is a, 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 the, the dominant theme in your book, Yoga Biomechanics. And I was just um, astounded by the wealth and depth of information in that, that book. So I really want to, we touched on this in a previous episode, I believe it was episode 11, um, Till and I did kind of an overview of a lot of those concepts in there. Um, but we really wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about some of this stuff in, in greater depth to, for us today. So can you, uh, Jules, just also give your, give our uh, listeners a bit of a background on you know, what you're doing now, what your sort of background is too, so that people can understand a little bit of context here. Yeah. Um, I basically, I'm an educator, as we said, I teach biomechanics and some version of anatomy, mostly to yoga teachers. Um, although, because as you said, a lot of my work is in stretching. I do tend to attract a lot of outliers from other industries that, that want to you know, talk about it in more depth. Uh, but for the most part, um, I'm in the yoga sphere. That's, mm-hmm. that's the basis of it. Yeah. Um, and if you need a long background, I don't know how much you're going to give your listeners in a separate you know, rec- yeah. recording, but um, I started yoga first. That was kind of my introduction into this world and um, ended up after many years of you know, life happening, ended up in a graduate program in biomechanics. And I'd had a really strong math and engineering background. And so I just fell right into it. And as I was researching 
uh, stretching mainly kind of from this tissue mechanics perspective, I started to see things in an entirely different way. And the mainstream narrative was just lacking in so many areas. And so that's really what triggered my work. And obviously yoga teachers are interested in stretching, <laughs> but so are other, so are other modalities as well. So you had a math and engineering background and then started doing yoga and then got curious about the engineering or biomechanical aspects of yoga. Is that how it went? Kind of. Um, I started practicing yoga in college and I was a math minor. So those kind of happened together. And then I ended up studying later. I graduated and then went back to study engineering all the while just practicing yoga. Um, And then life happened, so on and so on. And then I started teaching yoga and I actually didn't even know what biomechanics was. I I literally went to the university and was like, I'm really interested. I was teaching yoga. I want to know more about anatomy. I I wanted to know why you could stretch one way and not the other way in a different style. I didn't, I couldn't reconcile all these conflicting messages. So I was like, I think I'm going to study kinesiology. You know, I just didn't know what it was. And the Dean of the program who had met me took one look at my transcript and was like, someone who can do biomechanics, <laughs> you know, because that's the like I was like, but I don't have that much biology. And she's like, that's okay, we can teach you the biology. That's easy. It's the it's the physics that's really hard for people. Yeah. Uh, so they just funneled me into it. Really, I had no idea. And I sat in my first tissue mechanics class. And I just remember looking at the stress strain curve of tendon behavior and like looking around the room thinking. Is why is nobody as excited about this as I am? We have this information, you know, like, like why we can, I can make sense of all these things that I've been told if I know this. So that's, yeah. Well, I got to confess that uh, your stress strain curve or the, you know, the one you put in your book excited me too. And <laughs> it's really what Whitney uh, recommended the book to me before we did that episode talking about stretching. And I started reading it and I go, okay, here's someone who's finally done it. You wrote the book or you did the whole thesis on this question. I was trying to work out for myself and share with people as I did is like, how does tissue change? What can we say about tissue change? And then what can we say about what we do and its relationship to that? Because there's so many debates and polarities and arguments and half stories that get quoted again and again that I really wanted to dial it down for myself. When I went, I mentioned the the books I wrote at the in the sponsor spot. That was my process in writing those. But then, so to find your book, someone who had done your, you did your masters and mm-hmm. yeah, it was a masters. Uh, yeah, related. You really dove into it, and I was so excited to see not only the stress strain curve but the studies and the charts. So I just wanted a chance to thank you personally for that. Thanks so much. So what's what's it been like to go? I mean, I have my own answer too, but what's it been like to go back and forth between those different ways of thinking or being to say, let's, I don't want to you know, characterize it too much, but there's, there's a certain kind of thinking and being that's involved in engineering and math. And there's, a, there's a, you know, another set of qualities or ways of being that have to do with uh, yoga or doing body work. How do those, how do you navigate those two realms? like the science and the kind of intuitive side. Is that what you're saying? Um, Actually, I, I, I really pride myself on on reconciling those very well. Um, I like, just let's use, use the stress strain curve, for example. Um, You know, that's a model Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and it's a model that applies very well to uh, non-living tissues that don't have cells and human tissue has cells. So the model has a bit of 
um, a limitation, I guess. Um, so, right. you know, we just, we, we can add to the model with more research, knowing cells. So we have to add other disciplines like biochemistry and so on into that model. Um, and then the reality of it is when we're dealing with people, which is nonlinear and multidimensional, which is biology, right? Which the stress strain curve is very linear and very two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we you know, when we're dealing with people, it doesn't fit into the model in the exact way, but yeah. it doesn't mean you can't use the model to inform. So there's the human experience of receiving a massage or practicing yoga. And there's the human experience of pain science. And I think pain science has really helped me live in more that intuitive world. And then there's what the research can tell us. And there's some strong claims we can make from the research. And then there's a lot of claims we can't make strongly because of the research. And so it's really kind of balancing, you know, that what we know and don't know with what the person in front of us is experiencing. And we have to consider both, I think. I think when, um, I think this was something that I had seen in your book or something else, maybe that you had said earlier, or we're talking about at one point in looking at, you know, um, the, the non-living tissues and non-living structures, when you're applying those concepts of mechanics, that there are a lot of principles of, you know, load and tolerance for, you know, like how much strain can a metal bar take before it bends and breaks and that sort of thing. And a lot of those things are applied, but what's not true in non-living structures that is true for humans is adaptation um, and the capability that we have to change um, based on progressive loading processes. And I thought that was a fascinating concept about, you know, sort of taking that, some of those mechanical concepts and saying like, yeah, but it is a little bit different when we talk about living systems as well. And that's the bio in, in biomechanics, essentially. Yeah. And I think a lot of critics of biomechanics, especially classic biomechanics tend to get really wrapped up in, but living tissue isn't like that. And it's like, okay, but it doesn't mean we can't still learn. And I think that's really when you ask like what I do, my, my work is in educating people to make sense of these things so that they can problem solve and think for themselves because we, we can't just put a collagen fiber, you know, in, in a, in a lab in a setup and stretch it until it breaks and then make conclusions on humanity about them based on that. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do that for a, for a steel beam. Yes, that's a good thing, but it isn't for people. And so it, when, you know, when you were saying that everyone's debating and there's arguments online, I believe that half of those debates and those arguments are from a very narrow viewpoint that are two, you know, two people's viewpoints are clashing. Um, and if and the you, other, and the other half are, huh? <laughs> half, half of them are from a narrow point of viewpoint and the other, are from, <laughs> and, and well, well, one narrow viewpoint, maybe. Guess, and, yeah, and then the other half is from a different narrow viewpoint. <laughs> so, you know, they're not reconciling. And I feel like if you, if you just sit down and, and, and tease out some of these details and define some of these terms and like, you know, what is stretching even mean? And you break down the variables, the conversation becomes really rich and nobody really wins the debate, but everybody learns from the process. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Tell me about, you know, you've, you've uh, mentioned this in your book uh, a number of times and, and a few other things that you've noted too. What are some of the most common myths that you're aware of, um, in regards to stretching? I mean, all of them, (laughs) anything that Google will tell you about stretching. I mean, I get the questions, the types of questions I get just express it all. What's the best way to stretch Right. for what, you know, like what, what do you, I just got an Instagram message yesterday from someone. What do you think about stretching and back pain? 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, what, what about it? Like, I don't even, I don't even know how, where to begin to answer that. Does it cause it? Does it fix it? Is it real? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. You know, there's so, um, so I think there's just this kind of belief that stretching is good for you and it should be done. And actually I don't disagree with that, but all the reasons are just really loose and uncertain. Um, and so that's like, I'm not, I'm definitely not an anti-stretcher, not in any, I actually think there's massive benefits to it. Uh, but we have to kind of peel back all the layers and figure out why and what for and what's the outcome you're looking for. And then what parameters do you want to apply to that? And I just don't think the general public is interested in that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? No, it might be true. But I'm thinking, Whitney, about your question in terms of, say, massage, manual therapy, structural integration. And at the simplest level, our narrative was that we were stretching uh, tissues in different ways, whether you're doing massage or doing structural integration, that there was some sort of stretching, elongating going on of the actual tissue. And then as we started to get more specific about that, again, those arguments got more complex. Yeah. So like length, the the tissue's permanently lengthening. There's the permanent question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Um, That's not happening. That's probably not happening from extreme cases, perhaps, but for the most part, no. Can you, yeah, can you elaborate on that a little bit and, and sort of, um, you know, explain a little bit more? Because I think there still is, Till mentioned, that's still a, a common concept uh, that I think a lot of people. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. I forget because I'm in my echo chamber so much. Yeah. I, f- I forget. Yeah. I, I do think people think tissues are short and that they should be stretched to lengthen them. Uh, but the reality is that these tissues are actually, their job is to resist lengthening. That is literally what they do. That's what stress is. It's the capacity to resist lengthening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it could just lengthen, that would be massively detrimental to, you know, our, our form. Um, and I think that's kind of the, 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 let me kind of back up with my narrative doing this work. What was key for me and what is key for how I educate people about stretching is to separate range of motion from stretching, from the, from the tensile load of stretching. Um, and that's the subtitle of my book, Stretching Redefined. Range of motion is an entirely different conversation, entirely different conversation that has many, many factors, most of which are not tissue related. Some are, but most of them are not. So if you take that whole conversation out, just remove range of motion for now and just talk about the tissue, all of a sudden you have a completely different understanding of stretching or tension. And, and you can start looking at tissue behavior without the societal value of improving range of motion. And so I really define them differently. I consider if you're trying to improve range of motion, you're doing flexibility exercises. I don't even call them stretching. You're literally doing flexibility exercises that, that promote flexibility, range of motion. And if you're doing tension stretching work, that could look like a certain flexibility exercise, but it could also look like strength training, manual therapy, it could look like all kinds of things because you're putting tension through a tissue that is literally its job is to resist tension. (laughs) Um, And then when you separate range of motion, it's like, you can just have this like, okay, let's let's have this conversation or that conversation. Um, and it's really easy to see the difference. You're both quiet. So I think. No, I, it's, <laughs> I see I, till pondering going, something there. Well, yeah. I'm going to go for like the simplest version of the question I can think of. 
And that is, okay, so then why when I'm doing, like say a massage and I feel something hard under my hands and I rub it until it's soft, does the client feel better? <laughs> I'm just throwing my hands up for those. Yes. <laughs> um, th- I mean, that, that could not be stretch, a you know, lot if, of if, things. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Is stretching, in quotes, a part of that? Where does the stretching narrative go? Like, aren't I stretching the tissue and making it softer and more elastic? Like okay, but taffy so if and you, all these Let's models. just say you are stretching the tissue. Let's just yeah. say you are. Okay, so let's just say you're applying tension. Yeah. Um, even though you're also applying like, you know, compression, but let's leave that out of the equation for now. Let's just say you're applying tension. Uh-huh. Um, but lots of things are happening. First of all, there's a ton of can- mechanoreceptors in the connective tissue layer, uh, both the superficial fascia and the deep fascial layer. So a ton of mechanoreceptors that are literally waiting for mechanical input, like tension and compression to send signals to the brain. I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm not going to get into what happens in the brain. You can bring a neuroscientist on the podcast to talk about that, but there's a lot of perception and response happening, right? So there's mechanoreceptors in the muscles themselves. There's proprioceptors, muscle spindles in the joint spaces. There's also proprioceptors, you know, Golgi end organs, Golgi tendon organs Mm. Um, in the skin, there's mechanoreceptors. Uh, So, so if we're just talking on a technical level, that is one part of it. The other part of it is if there is any sort of adaptive change, probably not quickly, like, you know, in, a, in the moment on the massage uh-huh. table, yeah. but over time, over repeated inputs, you could be communicating to the cell. The cell also responds to tension and the cell changes its behavior and its collagen output and all of that um, in response. So you can be doing things, but that's not the same thing as, as taking a tissue rubbing on it and then turning it into like a loose overstretched waistband Mm -hmm. (laughs) that wouldn't be a good thing (laughs) okay so if i've yeah i'm going in some ways this is an old conversation i mean this this you know this has been bantied about so much including our our 70 episodes here uh that it's uh almost ready for some new takes on it but no you've you've said it really well you've kind of summarized the fact that there's so much going on there and yet there's something uh there's something still very interesting about what you're saying and tell tell me more about the cell are you talking about kind of cells in particular you're talking about fibroblasts for the example, fibroblasts yeah, yeah the fibroblasts yeah you said they're yeah. responding to pressures does that figure into your thinking at all your model oh absolutely okay. absolutely that's okay, chapter good. four and chapter five right great of, me too you know, i mean that's what literally like tissue remodeling you know again the cell the I always use the bone analogy because I think people can wrap their head around bones a little bit better. Yeah. If you compress a bone or, you know, you impose, you know, load bearing exercises onto someone, right. The bone, the cell in the bone is what lays down more bone to avoid the boy, the bone getting shorter, yeah. <laughs> getting compressed. Yeah. So the, the, but the bone cells are fibroblasts. <laughs> They've just differentiated to make bone, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. with the tendons and the ligaments and the fascia, it's the same thing. It's literally the same thing. When you stretch on them, when you pull on the, the tissue, the cell says, hold on, I'm a stretch, I'm a tension resisting structure. So if you're going to stretch me, I'm going to lay down more tissue to get better at resisting stretching. It's the exact same mechanism. And when you grasp it around bone, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I wanna, I'm right. I'm right with you. Go ahead, Whitney. And yeah, just, I wanted to, to go back for just a second to something you'd said in a sentence a moment or two ago, because this is another refrain that I hear 
from um, a lot of people in our field in, in the massage therapy world about, you know, a person, let's say, has a, a typical kind of kyphotic upper thoracic posture, a head forward posture, and people say, oh, don't work on that person's rhomboids because they're already overstretched and you're going to make them more overstretched. So mm-hmm. tell, tell me a little bit about your, your thoughts and ideas around this idea of do muscles get over elongated or overstretched? So the, for that type of scenario, I would just apply a different model. I wouldn't apply a like soft tissue tension, like stretching model. Um, for something like that, I would say, okay, well, because of the position, perhaps, you know, some of those tissues are held in a lengthened state, you might say like eccentrically oriented or something, depending on what system you're using, you know, and on the opposing side, it would be the opposite concentrically, um, concentrically held or shortened, whatever language you want to use. That's why definitions are so important, right? Uh, And then you might take a look at what's happening at all the joints, joint pressure per the person's sense. We all know posture is more than just tissue. We know this. Uh, We know that posture is, you know, something that you pick up from your family and your parents and your, you know, and your genes and also your mood. I mean, everybody knows that there's many factors involved in posture. So if we're just looking at the tissue side and the mechanical side of things, um, instead of looking at, at stretching things out and tightening things, I might look at, you know, the person's um, position and apply like a joint mechanics model, a joint pressure model, or apply, you know, several other models, um, society, um, you know, personality type things, um, psychosocial factors, you know, there's so many other things to, to look at. Uh, but that doesn't mean that if you're in that posture that yes, the tissue is being held long and yes, the tissue is held being as being short, but stretching one side of it isn't the approach I would take. Mm-hmm. Just because a different model. Because it's not going to get longer. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's nothing if you stretch if you stretch a a, a, a long tissue. It's not going to get longer. Like it, it, it. When you, you know what I'm saying. Like if I, if I do a, a forward fold, I'm a yoga person, so I can do yeah. a deep forward bend and put my palms on the floor. Um, I'm not making my hamstrings longer because when I stand up, they go back to their resting length. If they were longer, when I stood up, they'd be sagging on the floor behind me. I'd throw them over my shoulders to leave the room. Mm-hmm. So using your rhomboid example, if the rhomboids are super loose because they're long for whatever reason, if you brought your shoulders into retraction, your rhomboids be dragging behind you, but they're, they're not, they, you know, everything is always under tension, no matter what the position. So Mm. they're just under, let's just say more tension. So, so that now you're looking at, you know, posture correction as a, as a kind of a normalizing resting position instead of a tightening or loosening of a tissue. That makes sense. So in essence, then, are you saying that, that, that actually those, those long positions have increased the functional range over which that muscle is activating or those tissues are activating because they're considered long uh, or, or is that not accurate? Oh, we got to like peel part layers and talk about what functional range means and whatnot. Yeah. You know, I, there's so many different models we can apply here. Um, and, you know, the, one would be that there's like a center and you should be able to go so far to one side and so far to the other side. And so if you're held, you know, in a position like a kyphotic extra kyphotic curve, then 
maybe your center has shifted to the right. And so now you have further to go on one side and you don't have as much to go on the other. We could look at that model and try to bring things back to center. If, if, if you subscribe to that model, I'm, that's great. Uh, but again, it's not about stretching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's about, it, you could even look at it as kind of like how the joint is functioning, what the joint perceives as center. Um, you could look at an entirely different model that is like, you know, joints are the movers and then the muscles are the responders. So you could just say that that if you had lengthened rhomboids, that's the response to what you're doing every day and resetting it would be something that would be relate to joint behavior instead of soft tissue shortening and lengthening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. I know we've touched on this a little bit already in, in this discussion, but I just want to see like, and maybe I'm just shooting for the moon here if there's a relatively short answer to this question, but to to what degree uh, would you say that stretching's benefits are due primarily to connective tissue changes or how much more are they about neurological changes? And mainly we're talking muscle here, but myofascial tissues, muscle, fascia, tendon, all those tissues involved in the stretching process. Okay, so your question is what part is neurological and what part is connective tissue? If there's a way to kind of, you know, weigh them out, you know, or he asked, he asked, which is more? I heard you, Whitney. Uh, Did I say that? To what degree are stretching (laughs) benefits due? Okay, didn't mean to say more. Like, what percentages, if there's a way to weigh that, you know, are related to those categories? I don't think we, or maybe the categories are even, even not relevant so much. No, I think it's really just what model you're applying. So if you're really looking at like a a tissue, like biotensegrity model, you're accepting the fact that the tissue itself is like doing like logic computations on tension and responding, you know, and then if you're in the, you know, neuroscience world or the pain science world, you're like, so I just think it, I don't think there's any way for us at this time with our scientific technology to make a conclusion like that. I just think it's really about who's looking at it and what model they're applying. And, you know, it's tricky because we know that no system works independently of any other system. So we're, we're saying, oh, here's the connective tissue system. Here's the neuromuscular yeah. system, you know, here, like these are all just, you know, maybe it's blood flow. Maybe when we stretch, we get better blood flow and we feel mm-hmm. better. I mean, really we could, we could try that model on. There's tons of stretching on cardiovascular response, research on stretching and cardiovascular responses. It's just, that's not the model that I'm buried in. So I can't say much about it. You're saying we don't know. And it depends on the model or lens we're looking through to what degree it's neurological change we're looking for, or to what degree it might be tissue change yeah. we're looking for. All right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted an answer to give me the, the, the real truth. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> the hopeless pursuit of the truth. <laughs> and there's something, but there's something beyond it's both or it's all of these that we don't know too, that mm-hmm. keeps us coming back to the question because yes. it is the elephant. We're all got yes. a hold of the trunk and we say it's this, we got a hold of the leg, we say it's that, but yes. we're still looking for something. We're looking for an understanding of the paradox, this dichotomy or whatever it is that's, you know, these different ways of looking, we're looking to reconcile these differences. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I, I, I'm not saying that we should be satisfied with, we're not certain, but yeah. that's where we're at. And one of the things that I find really interesting, especially as we move along with technology and, and um, specialization, 
you know, the more specialized you get in one area, the harder it is to actually bring in other models. You know, like a neuroscientist that is is so wrapped up in neuroscience is going to have an entirely different perspective on stretching than you know someone who studies connective tissue behavior. Uh, yes. And and the more specialized you get, because we are so advanced intellectually, right? It yes. becomes harder and harder and harder to just kind of know a little bit about a lot of things, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, uh, Whitney, are you yelling queued up or should I go for it? No, go for it there. I'm just thinking, again, since these are models, since they're narratives, uh, how has your practice with yourself or what you're teaching, how has that been informed by all this study and all this information, all these models and narratives you got? How has that changed over the years? It has completely transformed me into a like movement optimist, so to speak, to borrow, borrow a hashtag from Greg Lehman. But Greg Lehman, yeah. I used to be so worried about like overstretching, injuring, doing this, doing that. You know, we, especially in yoga, like the education is like, don't do this, you'll hurt them. Don't do this, you'll hurt them. And it's like, like now that I look at actual tissue and, and the stress strain curve, and I'm looking at the variables, you know, the only thing you can really do when you're stretching is you can, you can change how hard you stretch and how far you stretch. Yeah. That's about it. And then we can go. How hard, stretch. how far, how, how long? Hard, like, yeah, the length. The okay. length and uh -huh. the amount of force that you're putting. Of force. How about duration? Yeah, that we can go into viscoelasticity and start looking at time. How as about well. context? Yeah. Context. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm not having to begin bad. Well, context is not mechanical. Here. Okay. Context, you know what I'm saying? So, but but yes, of course we can, of course we can put in all of those things, especially with range of motion. I think context matters more okay. than actual tissue input. You know, I think. That, that's a big conversation as far as flexibility, but just for like tissue. Uh -huh. And so like, if you're worried about injuring a tissue because you're bending over to touch your toes and you're looking at the variables of how long and how much, right? How much okay. load. If you're bending over to pick up a dumb, like a, a barbell or something in a deadlift, it's the same, it's the same thing, except because of the increased load, it's more length and more load. So why are we, why are we not walking all around the gym floors going, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to tear that tissue, you know? And it's like, like, mm -hmm. how is, how is, how is a, a simple how is loading yoga it, class going to overload the tissue? Got you. <laughs> how is loading it in one context good for it? And in another context, we think of it as being exactly bad for it. Yeah. when, when that cell is literally perceiving stress and strain, mm -hmm. you know? And so that was kind of what, what changed for me is like, I'm not like loading people with reckless abandon, but I think I just, I relaxed a lot about a lo the myths that we've been told and the dangers that we've worried about. And I really went back to teaching the person back to that intuition side. Like, uh -huh. does it feel good for the person? That is far more important than my understanding of, I'm going to stretch it and make it looser. You know, that that's not a, a, a valid like way to teach. Yeah, mm -hmm. I like it. You mentioned the stress curve again, strain curve again. I'm wondering if we should just kind of summarize that. In fact, I, I think I found it in your book. Is this it here? Yeah, that's it. That's it. We'll give it, you know, maybe we can, chapter three, maybe we can stick it in the show notes if you're just doing the audio version. What's the, what are some of the takeaways from that? How would you describe yeah. it? Yeah. Well, first of all, that's a, not a real stress. 
strain curve. That's for educational purposes that I drew. Oh, okay. uh, it doesn't look exactly look like that. And all tissues look different, but uh -huh. I would, I drew that in PowerPoint to be able to show the different areas. Nice. And really what it's saying is that normal human movement, most of what we do falls within that elastic region. So you stretch a tissue and it returns to its resting length mm -hmm. over and over and over. So you go to a yoga class, you do all this stretching, yep. it returns to its resting length. Sure. You might feel more flexible. That's a different story. <laughs> you know, that's not because the tissue length, it, it returns. So that's the keyword being it. feel in that and feeling yes. more flexible, yeah. feeling more flexible. Yes. That was okay. Deliberate. Yeah. You mm -hmm. feel more flexible. You might actually be more flexible with a goniometer test. Um, but, but you're still feeling, it's still a sensation. Um, mm -hmm. it's not because the connective tissue got longer. Uh, that's the main takeaway really that I have of the stress strain curve. I also mentioned that in that, that curve, uh, there's some limitations. There's only two dimensions, right? Stress and strain. And I think Whitney said time, or maybe till you said time. Uh, there's no time on that chart, which is why you have to, or that graph, which is why you have to start looking into viscoelasticity. Um, an example that I like to give is if you just stand up and you turn your foot backwards, so you're like twisting your knee, right? Mm -hmm. Your knee ligaments can handle that. It's not a lot of load. It's not a lot of length. It might be feel weird, but you're, you're, you'll be fine. They'll return mm -hmm. when you turn your foot straight again. Mm -hmm. But if you did that skiing, you would have a completely different response. Your knee ligaments, they respond very differently when loads are applied quickly. And I don't mean like just moving fast, you know I mean? Quickly, like as in an accident, you know, versus when you're just kind of hanging out. Um, and that's why we need to do, we do need to look at time eventually. Um, but I use the stress rating curve as an educational tool because if you understand these two dimensions and the relationships between stress and strain, then you can start to have bigger conversations where you can add time and you can talk about these things. And it changes the narrative quite a bit. I'm not as concerned about a certain yoga shape being problematic. Um, okay, great. And so, so the relationship between stress and strain, mm -hmm. stress being, and again, um, refresh my memory on the way load. you're using these two terms, load, load. and strain being deformation or- yep. uh, yeah, okay. me measured in millimeters. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one is the amount of tension or load on mm -hmm. the other is the amount of shape change or length change mm -hmm. that it undergoes. And those yeah. are related on a curve. Yeah. And uh, that's what you're working with, you say. Yeah. It out. yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. It's marvelous example, I think, of, of applied biomechanics of, of looking at these concepts and seeing, you know, how they relate to things that we've heard that may, may or may not necessarily be accurate. So, um, yeah, I mean, think about it. If you mm -hmm. stretch a hamstring, you're going to put tension through, you know, the muscle tissue and the myofascial part and as well as the tendon, right? Everybody mm -hmm. can agree on that. Um, if you're just doing a passive hamstring stretch, we can get super technical if we want on what parts stretch more and whether they're compliant or stiff, but that is not for a podcast. But I, I, I'm just acknowledging that I can appreciate that there is some technical difference. But for the most part, we can just agree that you're putting tension through the structure, mm -hmm. through this, right? Well, if I go to the gym and do a prone hamstring curl where I'm bending the knee, mm -hmm. um, I'm also putting tension through the muscle and the tendons, right? So, so it's also getting stretched, so to speak, because it's pulling on the tendon and mm -hmm. 
the muscle and the myofascia. So my question is, you know, does the cell know the difference? Right? It's tension. Mm. Tension is tension. Um, and I think obviously you can't like, you know, you, your audience might not know what yin yoga is, but it's a style of yoga. That's a lot of passive stretching. I don't think you can yin yoga your way into a deadlift record. <laughs> obviously there's yeah. a difference, but just on the mechanical side, as far as like looseness and tightness of a tissue on the yeah. mechanical side, does it know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and in reality, I would, if it does know, I would argue that the heavier load which creates, because we understand the relationship between stress and strain. So the heavier load creates more length. So th- then literally everyone at the gym would be walking around cautioning over stretching, but mm-hmm. they're not. <laughs> Your curve has quite a big slope of elastic range. You get more stress, you get more strain up to, what do you call it? A yield point. Mm-hmm. And then at some point there's a fail point, but you're saying that's pretty far up the you usually run out of space first. Like that's beyond, you know, those measurements have come from collagen fibers in a lab where you can actually stress, you know, stress to the capacity of the tissue. Most normal human movement falls within the two to five, 6% strain. Uh, And the the failure point comes from 10, 12, depending on what research you're looking at. Way out on the margins. Yeah. But then something like, yin yoga where you're hanging out for longer periods yep. of time maybe under lower load maybe toward the end range of a joint is that well, a no because then no. you creep so when yin over when you're just doing a gentle stretch not yeah. fast loading over time the tissue creeps and creep is actually like a built-in mechanism to avoid overstretching. like it's it literally it, it it the internal friction of the tissue changes temporarily temporarily because it's creep and recovery to avoid the going into a plastic range so now because we're adding the third dimension of time we can't use the two-dimensional stress strain curve uh-huh. so we we have we can we can appreciate the relationship between the two-dimensional stress strain curve but as soon as we add time we're adding another variable and all of a sudden things change and define, that's what creep and recovery is about define so creep exciting. for us if you could yeah, it is cool <laughs> tell us again what creep is in so creep terms. is after you've held a tissue first at a stretch for a certain amount of time let's just yeah. say like two minutes right the the internal friction of the of the material of this non-newtonian material which our tissues are changes so that you, you continue to strain, but at a much slower rate. And this is like when the load is constant, basically. So I'm just in a, a forward bend or a passive held hamstring stretch on the massage table. Um, and the load is constant. Someone's you know, holding your leg at the same load. Um, when you say you continue to strain, just translated to lamest terms, you continue yep. to have shape. It just gets Gen- a little Length longer. change. Gets yeah, a little it gets a yeah. little longer. Okay. Yeah, it gets longer and looser because of its molecular structure changes. Yes. So you hang out. And so it feels nice. Uh And it does that so that you, it changes its structure so that you don't go into the plastic region because you, now you're applying this other phenomena. And then when you get up, it takes a little while and it changes back and you recover. So fascia does stretch, but it maybe doesn't deform. (laughs) <laughs> Who knows? Depends how you're defining stretch and deform, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? So, so to me, well, deformation is strain and it's temporary. Yeah. And I, yeah, okay, and I, but I do think tissue remodels on a larger scale, you know? Yeah. So 
So again, it depends how you're defining deform, but if you're just looking at it as in it's resting millimeter length, yeah. um, no, but of course there are. And you can ones. strain it on a very short-term level or, or short time scale level, or you get, you hang out with it, you get creep, mm -hmm. but you're saying yeah. generally both those things return to whatever they yeah. were beforehand too. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we want. So Robert Schleif calls it the flat butt syndrome. He said, if it wasn't like that, just in the time we're talking about it, we'd stand up and we'd have flat butts that yeah. basically mm -hmm. our fascia would have remodeled yes. into a new shape. He does yeah. call it that. You're right. Um, going back to this, this time issue, there's, you know, I, I hear a lot of debates frequently from different practitioners of, you know, different systems, et cetera, you know, kind of like what's the, what's the right or proper amount of time to stretch? And I know there's not an, a set answer for that, but based on what two you minutes, just talked I heard about, her say it. It's uh, two, minutes. two minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to hold you that it was on camera. Uh, based on what you're saying here, uh, you know, there's an argument that if you are one of the advocates of a, of a very short duration stretching, you're probably familiar with Aaron Mattis's active isolated stretching mm -hmm. methods, which advocates, you know, two or three second stretch versus let's say a, uh, you know, some other type of, of longer, you know, minute, minute and a half, two minute long stretch. You, based on what you were saying, you'd get some benefits of creep in one of those processes, but not in the other, because you wouldn't get creep in the short duration stretch. Yet it still seems to be very effective for people. So how does that time and creep issue oh, play a part in effectiveness? So many there? questions. Effective yeah. for what? What are we measuring effectiveness as? Yeah. Range of motion? Because right. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. You know, or are we measuring pain reduction or sports performance or um, cardiovascular health or um, what are we, you know, what are we right. calling effective? Yeah. <laughs> that's, so there's that. that's kind of the ultimate thing of like, yeah, then, how are you measuring? Yeah. If you're doing like a quick stretch, you're probably just talking to the muscle spindle would be my guess. Cause you're kind of activating a stretch reflex, but I don't mm -hmm. know. I'd need to be, you know, see the specifics. And if you're doing a long kind of melting juicy stretch, you're probably not activating the muscle spindle at that level because that's your, it's too much information, right. <laughs> you know? So now you're working in a different range and now we are now creep is happening. And I wouldn't even call creep. Like you said, a benefit of creep. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't even call, it's just a phenomena. That's it. It's a phenomena that exists so that our tissues don't overstretch. So when I'm sitting here doing this interview, when I walk up my lumbodorsal fascia, which is now getting loose and creeping from sitting here, that when I get up and walk around in a few minutes, I'll be back to normal. Mm -hmm. uh, because that would be super problematic if, if I've slept on my arm in a certain way and my shoulder joint capsule got stretched out over time, instead it creeps. And then in my sleep, I sense it and I change positions, you know, and or, then in on, the morning it recovers. or on long flights, you, you yeah. talked about that Toronto yes. airport design mm -hmm. or whatever it was. Exactly. How did that go? What was that about? Um, that's the, the famous story of, um, the, the Toronto airport was having people um, injure their backs when they were getting their luggage. And so they brought in a spinal biomechanist who said, simple, just take the baggage claim and move it a five minute walk from the terminal. Or maybe they just make you wait for a really, really long time to get your bags. <laughs> maybe yeah. they do that. Um, and, and by that point, your connective tissue has, you know, set its set its to its rest, resting length again, or tightened up, so to speak. Because if you, again, look at, at, at mechanics of force transmission and so on, when you're going to pick up your luggage, nobody's walking up to the carousel and doing a perfect squat form. They're just bending over, 
you know, relying on the springiness of their connective tissue in their back to grab yeah. their suitcase. And if that connective tissue has creeped, it's just not springy for a little while, but then mm-hmm. it becomes springy again. Otherwise we would all have lost springiness of our tissue after kindergarten. We were forced to sit in a chair for, <laughs> you know, a full day would have been, would have been over for us then. Okay. And presumably there was a measurable benefit of this five minute walk or wait, but there was fewer back injuries, hopefully. Hopefully. We don't know. Hopefully. Okay. Do you think it was the walk or the weight? You said both. Both. It's probably both. Yeah. Okay. Just the resting be... length. Yeah. It could be okay. both. Okay. So just give, so we don't even have to do anything. We can just stand there and we'll yeah, return. Probably. Just change the position from a lengthened position to a neutral position. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So for my next session, I'm just going to have my client take a different position and wait for a while. Yeah. Like we go get a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> this is part of the therapy. Yeah. I'm big. I'm joking, but you're saying yeah. that even changing position and hanging out, lingering in a position has effects. Yeah. Which is why we change position all the time. Yeah. yeah. Because our, our central nervous system is collecting this information. It knows when we're creeping. And so we change the cross in our legs or yeah. we stand up and, you know, and even in an airplane, people stand up because they need, they, you can sense it. Yeah. I'm reminded till of our previous conversation in, in uh, another episode with Stuart McGill talking about ambulance drivers being in the ambulance for 30 minutes or whatever on the way to a call where they have to go lift a 400 per pound person out of a bathtub who's had a heart attack and the benefits of time and movement after getting out of the vehicle for long periods of time and then being able to be more prepared for that heavy lift um, because Perfect of the, the additional time there. So mm-hmm. similar you know, kind of I thing. remember his, his uh, the intervention he described there was a lumbar support in the seat, but we're saying actually there just needs to be a little longer trek from the ambulance into the bathtub or wherever the patient is. Yeah, except yeah. that's probably not the, <laughs> not the that's route not we want to go. Wanna do. I can't save you. That I have time. to stand outside. Yeah, right. my... <laughs> Paramedics can wait. Uh, my two minutes is not up yet. I'll be here the few. heart attack can wait. Yeah. Uh, Jules, I want to touch on another thing here in your book. You talk about something called uh, resistance stretching, which Mm -hmm. similar to a lot of, you know, things that I have heard and read about the benefits of eccentric loading. Um, Can you comment a little bit on, uh, you know, uh, the sort of what, what that is in terms of like our benefits of, of loading something in an eccentric fashion versus more of a static type of stretching process? Yeah, I can. Um, resistance stretching is, unfortunately, there's not really much research on it. And resistance stretching is different than kind of eccentric loading because it's pretty low load in, mm-hmm. in, in technique. So it is kind of different, but at the same time, I, I advocate the technique for the general public and often within yoga teachers because the sensation is the sensation of stretching, you know, but it's not pushing to end range and it becomes about uh, control through a range, which to me is what's more important in range of motion than just being able to, you know, achieve a certain range, but being able to have not just control, but like a smooth, deliberate control through a range. And you'll see people are very good at their concentric contractions. And as soon as they're asked to you know, decelerate or, or, um, lengthen against resistance, it becomes very choppy. Uh, it, the, the eccentric contractions use a lot of brain power. So it, it, it's a skill, it's a skillful uh, way of stretching somebody. 
Yeah. So I'm just an advocate for it because I think yoga people, yoga students, yoga teachers, we chase sensation quite a bit. Um, and as we are especially known to attract uh, people with hypermobility because they tend to be good at yoga and people with hypermobility really are, are, are chasing the sensation, especially in the beginning because they have different connective tissue. And so resistance stretching provides all of that sensation while at the same time um, having the person extremely involved in the lengthening process. So that's my okay. I just got about five questions. That's great. Yeah, no, great. But, okay. So chasing chasing sensation is mm -hmm. certainly a relevant concept to massage and manual therapy, mm -hmm. too. And so I mean, there's the pros of so many of the effects might have to do with sensation. There's the cons of maybe what the sensation uh, is. You know, the the thing that the sensation shows us isn't always the thing that has the lasting benefit. Might be the argument against that. Is that what you're referring to in terms of chasing the sensation in a yoga context? I think in the yoga context, when we I say chasing sensation, I mean like end range stretching. Like we yeah. want to feel the stretch. You want to feel and something. And so we right. push harder into the stretch when, when maybe you could just back up a little and just like do a, a, a shorter range stretch against resistance. And all of a sudden you get all of that sensation and you get other benefits of eccentric along with it. So okay. I'm not against end range stretching, by the way, that's uh -huh. not, it's just like, I think when somebody's looking for some, some sort of response and they keep trying that and if they're not getting what they want, this is a great alternative to introduce. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Next question, hypermobility. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, sure. Is there, so hypermobility that hurts and say, that's what makes it hyper. Is it, does it come down to strengthening and stabilization or are there places that uh, adaptation or relaxation might play a therapeutic role? Or does it all come down to getting stronger and stiffer? That's a big question. So yes. um, hypermobility, one of the struggles with hypermobility is it's only been on the radar of researchers for the last 10, 20 years. So there's yeah. not a lot of information. And also it's a, a, very diverse set of conditions. And it's also a spectrum, they call it, you know, disorder, a spectrum disorder. So you could have very local, high functioning, localized hypermobility and be very high functioning all the way to the other end. So it, it's really tough to make assumptions. But I, I will say that, that in the yoga context, especially people with hypermobility uh, tend to be feeling, they often feel tight because their muscles are constantly pulling in because their tissue, the connective tissue is, has a different molecular structure. It's at the collagen level. So at the triple helix collagen level, um, the molecular, sorry, molecular level, the collagen has a different structure. So, so they tend to want to stretch out and because and, it um, feels good because it, it feels, feels good or they feel something we can do like they need to mm -hmm. be stretched because they feel tight, even mm -hmm. though they're not. And so they just kind of keep doing end range stuff, which ends up just not changing anything. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the reason I like resistance stretching for that population 
It's not because it's about strengthening and stabilizing, but it gives them the sense of the, of the muscle stretch that they're, that they're looking for. And at the same time, because of its eccentric nature, they're still putting tension through the system and they still need tension through the system. So going back to like, you know, what is stretching or tension, the, the, the joint capsules, the ligament, they still need the tendons, they still need tension through the system. So stretching isn't bad for them. I think that's where people's brains get like, well, stretching must make it looser. So people right. with hypermobility don't need to Shouldn't stretch. Shouldn't do that, right. You know, people with hypermobility still need tension through the tissues. Mm-hmm. They just need tension in a way that satisfies the, the you know, the, the sensory experience that they're looking for. Scratches the itch. And, yep. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. why I think eccentric, or eccentrics and, and resistance stretching can, can really be beneficial over passive stretching for them. Can you give us a quick example of eccentric or active stretching so that just people can track what we're talking about? Yeah. So um, it's kind of like a PNF. It is technically a, you know, a, PNF a version for... of a proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. Okay, so let's just you. use the classic hamstring stretch example. Uh, you're on a table and someone's stretching your hamstring in a straight leg position. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. is familiar with that. Well, the passive stretch would be that you just push them as far as they can go. That would be the their heel toward their butt or whatever. Push, yeah. Well, they're, they're supine. So oh, sorry. you're pushing yeah, sorry, their, yeah. you know, uh, their knee, knee toward, toward their chest. chest. Okay, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're just pushing as hard as you can and they're not resisting you. Um, a resistance stretch would be where you start them before their end range and they try to avoid the stretch. So now they're trying to bring their heel to the table but you are overriding them. So mm-hmm. it's not a battle. You're not going at a hundred percent effort, mm-hmm. you know, like 20% or something like that. You know, you can play with the, with the, the ratios depending on the person, but mm-hmm. they're just giving some resistance. So that the target muscle that you're trying to stretch is being activated. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is now they're, they're feeling the stretch. I have this firm belief that what we feel in the stretch is actually the contraction. Um, that's my other narrative, but so they're, it feels really stretchy, even though they're not even going to their end range. And then what happens is because you're resisting each other, the stretcher and the stretchy are resisting each other. As soon as the stretchy has no more oomph to give the stretch ends because you kind of, the stretcher just, there's no, there's no resistance. There's nowhere to go. And so it kind of puts the person being stretched in the driver's seat instead of being stretched there's a, there's someone who's facilitating a stretch for them, but they get to control how much resistance they want to give when they want it to stop. It's a, it's a really like proprioceptively nuanced experience, which is why I, it is kind of like a PNF, which is a, a different type of stretch, but not unrelated. Thank you. Thank you. You're making me think about how, uh, I think it began with, Robert Schleip's influence on the Golgi tendon response being only activated when the muscle's contracting. And then we applied it to all kinds of things, bringing a lot more active client movement into the table work mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And then that was bolstered by say the Steckel's work on gliding and things like that. And realizing that, okay, there's actually some of the effects we're having is on movement between layers. And so maybe mm-hmm. we can get movement on the client side to help facilitate that too. Mm-hmm. Any overlap there in what you're talking about or completely different maps? I don't think it's, I don't think it's separate. I really think it's when you're creating muscle contractions, it it puts tension on the endomesium, you know, the endomesium kind of wrinkles. And I think that promotes sliding. There's just so many layers of 
of how this applies in multiple different models. So I'm with you. I, I see you. I see you. <laughs> and then we have Helene uh, Langevin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's actually going to be uh, our guest here in the next episode or two. Great. And I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to talk, asking her about her rat research, stretching mm -hmm. rats and showing anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. effects from 10 minutes. I think it was, was it twice minutes. a day? Was it 30 minutes? In 2005, 2006, it was 30 minutes, but she might've done research since then. Yeah. I, I somehow remember 10 minutes, but yeah. So does that, how does that map out into your thinking? I, I love that work as well. Um, yeah. It's not my wheelhouse. So I'm glad you have her on. So you can talk to her about that. Cause again, I'm more of the biomechanist, okay. uh, but I think that is a, a very exciting area of research. And I'm so glad she's doing that work. Um, the inflammatory yeah. effects say of, it's of the biochemical loving. response to tension. And it goes back to when I was saying that mm -hmm. the cell responds to the stretch or the tension. And I'm talking about how the cell secretes collagen and arranges fibers. Cause that's my area. Helene is looking at the biochemical nature of the tissue of part of the neuroimmune system, which is fascinating work and really ties well into the pain science work as well. So I'm thrilled about all of that. And I, my fingers on the pulse with it, but again, it's not my, uh, it's not my space to talk about on a podcast, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm looking forward to listening and asking the questions as well. Yeah. What else, Whitney? Well, I had a couple other things. I know we're kind of getting close to our wind down time, but just maybe this might be sort of a just a, a short kind of answer here. Um, I noted in your book that you had said that for a lot of folks, it's kind of an oversimplification to speak about stretching and exercise, correcting postural distortions or postural deviations. So we do hear that a lot of like, oh, you've got this position, you just need to stretch so-and-so and that'll correct your postural deviation. Any quick kind of comments or things you can, can mention about that? I'll tell a little story. That's okay. kind of fun. Uh, one of my friends and colleagues is a yoga teacher for a certain school and um, when they do their teacher training in the, on the first day, they take a picture of them in what we call mountain pose, which is your standing assessment. And at the end of the training, they take another picture and they compare the two. And she told me, we were talking about this exact conversation, the question that you asked. And she told me that at the end of the training, everyone says that they feel like they look so much taller, their shoulders are back, all of, you know, all of these things. And then they, they attribute it not to the fact that they got more range of motion and can clasp their hands behind their back because they stretch their pecs, but they attribute it to a sense of self and getting to know themselves and the experiences of the training. And I think that's such a good example. Stretching might add to that. Like mm -hmm. you might actually release some endorphins and change the way you feel about yourself through stretching. I know I love the sense of stretching but that doesn't mean that it was because the tissue got longer. So what happens in the general public and out in the Facebook groups is, well, if stretching doesn't like lengthen your pecs to improve your forward shoulder posture, then stretching, you shouldn't do it at all. And it's like, well, actually it, it could have some benefits just probably for a different mechanism. Like everybody just relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, that's a wonderful synopsis of that. Thank you again for, for touching base on that. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as so many times we could go off for hours on these things, I've, I've just got, you know, probably 
50 more questions I don't want to ask now to do this, but uh, um, I think, you know, we, we've got um, enough to get to started biting into I this. I think today, we least. just got our episode title too. I think it's just yeah. like, would everybody just relax about stretching yeah. or something like that? <laughs> I like that. Everyone yeah. just relax. Yeah. Right. A good bumper sticker and t-shirt. <laughs> Your opinions well. are right. only partially valid. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So Jules, tell us where, where can people find out more about your phenomenal work that you're doing and, and uh, keep track with you a little bit better? Uh, on my website, julesmitchell.com. Okay. I got everything there. I have book clubs and, and classes and lectures and all kinds of stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That sounds good. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today. This, um, it's always nice to bring in some of these uh, additional perspectives here. And you've got such a unique uh, background to be able to view the lens, the lens through which to, to view a lot of these things. So uh, again, thank you. Thank you so much for contributions there. So thanks for having me. Yeah. So honored. Yeah, really. I was, I was shocked you invited me. I was really humbled. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sweet. I really just want to do another plug for your book and we'll put a link in the show notes about that. Yeah. Yoga biomechanics, stretching, redefined handspring publishing. Great. It's it's again, it's the book that I was on my way to trying to figure it out. I'm so grateful you did all that hard work and are still sharing it with all of us. Yeah. My copy is very yellow inside from lots of highlighting. So yeah, look at all those like dog eared pages and highlighted stuff. It's so great. Same with mine. I have pages falling out (laughs) (laughs) because I'm always referencing it. Right. And your 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 copy too, and you know, Till and I both having written stuff before now is is probably all written up inside with like, oh, this has got to change in the next edition. Oh, that's got to change in the next edition. You know, all that stuff happens yeah. too. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> thanks for reminding of, me. <laughs> yes, indeed. Speaking of books, uh, books of discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over twenty years, and thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks e-textbooks, and digital resources. And in these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here. They see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud to support our work, knowing we share their mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. Check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where thinking practitioner listeners save 15% by entering thinking at checkout. And we would like to say a thank you to all of our continuing ongoing sponsors, and especially to you, the listeners, for hanging out with us. Hope you got some good gems out of the conversation today. You can stop by our sites for show notes, transcripts, and any extras there. Uh, for me, you can find that over on academyofclinicalmassage.com. Until where can people find that from you? Advanced-trainings.com. If there are questions or things you want to hear us talk about, just email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media just under our names. Today, my name is Till Luca. Yours? Yes. And uh, my name is Whitney Lowe. And I will say over on social media, just uh, tell everybody to relax a little bit over there as well. that That would be a good suggestion. If you will, please do uh, take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people find the show. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. Please do share the word and tell a friend. And thanks again to everyone for hanging out with us today. We'll see you again soon in our next episode.